0: I'm thankful for the joy of the Lord that is in this place, amen, grab your Bibles with me this morning, amen, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, amen, great spirit of worship in this place already, amen, it is Pentecost Sunday, amen, and we are thankful for that, thankful to know who we are, what we stand for, amen, amen, Look forward to what the Lord has in store for us in this service. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading at chapter 1. We'll read verse 10 through 18. If you got it, say amen. amen. If you don't, say I'm slow. I'm slow. <laughs> amen. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul, writing here, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am Paul, or I am Apollos, or I am Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen, amen. I want to speak to you just for the next little bit. With the help of the Lord on this thought, this title, One Accord. One Accord. Would you lay your Bibles down and help me pray right now? Lord, we love you. God. We are so thankful to be in your house. God, we are so thankful to be standing here together. God, one united body of Christ, God, we thank you this morning, God, for the spirit that is in this place. We pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, God, help us this morning. Open up our ears of understanding, God, help us to hear your word, God, help us to challenge us and let it transform us in the name of Jesus, God, and we give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. My wife is not here this morning. She is at home with uh, the youngest one who, who is teething. And man, when that guy tees, I mean, he just, he's out of commission. I mean, he's just, he's a mess, but uh, he's a mess anyways. But she's at home with him today. But when Mallory and I had uh, kids, when we had Easton, we, we took that scripture, uh, train up a child in the way that they should go. We took it very seriously. And, and not just to train them up in, in the doctrine and in the, in, the, in the Christian life, you know, but in everything, you know. And, and what I have found out in, in my five, almost six years of parenting is that there is a lot of training that needs to be done and still needs to be done. I mean, I'm, I'm just scratching the surface, okay? But what we did is we divided up all of the different trainings for our kids, and when I say we, I, I mean me. Uh, I divided them up in my head. Okay, I need to uh, let Mallory know about this. Um, but me being the fair husband that I am, you know, gracious and, and fair and right, you know, I made sure and still make sure that these, these trainings are, are carried out exactly how I have them planned in my mind. And some of the trainings that I am over. Uh, for my kids, I'm over the, the men's stuff, right? Like, we're, 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 Ethan's been riding with me on the lawnmower since he's been about two and a half years old. Some of you are like, that's dangerous. Well, we're men, okay? We live on the edge, right? So we're training them how to mow grass. And because one day, I expect him to mow the grass, right? Some of your parents are like, that's not never going to happen, okay? No, I expect that, right? So we're training how to mow the grass. And I mean, he can drive the zero turn, but I mean, my grass will not have the lines in it like I want it. I mean, he's like on a figure eight track. Yesterday we were on it, and he was watching me. We we got this tree in the backyard and we would go underneath it and the branches are hanging kind of low and I would kind of put my hand out and push them over to the side, you know, or sometimes they duck, and, and, and so he picked up that I was pushing the branches to the side, and so he, you know, he wants to do everything like me, so he starts, he starts taking upon himself, I'm just going to push the branches out of the side. What he didn't realize is the side I'm leaning over toward, he's pushing the branches over That's I'm getting smacked in the face all day by branches. We were not in one accord yesterday. But that's what i do that's some of the trainings that that i've taken upon myself i want to teach them how to how to use tools how to drive a nail how to drive a nail safely um how to get the most out of a manual car wash uptown i'm sure my father-in-law will help with that training because if you've ever seen him wash the car manually he get tom does he get the most out of his money absolutely lightning okay How to, uh, the other day, just a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, it was how to ride your bike without training wheels. You know, and it was a, it was a pretty, uh, is a monumental day for Easton. I mean, this was the day. I mean, this was, the, he's like, this is the year Dad. I'm going to ride without my training wheels on. And so I'm out there working with him and I'm pushing behind him and I'm like, kind of got my hands over him like this. And I just barely let him go. And he goes for a little bit. And then he doesn't realize, Hey, if you just, if you get wobbly, just put your feet down. You know, he wants to just crash it. You know, that's how he's going to stop himself. But you know, those are, those are the trainings that, that I'm, I'm over. And Mallory, Remember, I divided it up fair, right down the middle. <laughs> yeah. Mallory, she's she's on potty training duty. Okay, that's not fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> Mallory agrees that is fair, right, babe? Right. <laughs> you know, uh, and again. I, I just kind of—I didn't say I wasn't going to help with potty training. I was—I'm just kind of like sometimes you just kind of take a step back. And and Mallory, she's just a go-getter, and she just like she just jumps right on in. I'm like, hey, you got this. You're doing this. Like you are the potty trainer. You know, you can do this. And so I'm trying to—I'm like stay, just stay out of it. Um, but what I was thinking about uh, in all of these trainings, uh, the key to having success in all of these cases. Is that you have as parents? You have to what? You have to be there, right? I I had to be there to help Easton learn how to ride his bike on his own. Mallory has to stay in the bathroom while the boys are potty training because if not, the bathroom will never be the same again. Okay, it will be a wreck, and you know you know how kids are. They 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 want to uh, they want to open up every drawer that's 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 there they want to squeeze out all the soap that is in the dispenser they want to turn on the water full blast the sink is overflowing i post uh, on facebook just not too long ago i leave the kids alone for one second there's a whole bag of sugar on the bathroom floor i mean it wasn't poured out but it was like still intact but how does a bag of sugar end up in the bathroom floor because i wasn't there right That's how kids are. That's what, and, and, and so as parents, we can't let that happen, right? So what do we do? We, we stay with them. Okay. We, we, we stay there the entire time, talking them through it, helping them any way that we can. It's what? It's training and us as parents are the trainers and it's our job to be there. And this morning I'm talking about one accord, I'm talking about unity, okay? Listen, when you're trying to grow in Jesus, when you are trying to walk with Jesus, when you're trying to mature yourself in Jesus, the local church, okay, the body of Christ, we have to be there all the time, every time, okay? There is never a day when you outgrow the need of the body of Christ. There is never a day when you're supposed to do this whole thing on your own. That day will never get here. Amen when you're when you're when you're body training okay there comes a time there comes a day when when you're kind of off on your own right you don't need i mean i'm 32 years old my mom doesn't still call me on the phone and walk me through this whole bathroom situation (laughs) not that she's ever called me before and and walked me through it, okay? But my mom doesn't need to call me and walk me through it anymore, okay? But when it comes to church, when it comes to uh, uh our Christian walk, there that day will never come. There is never this day when you're just off on your own. There is never a day when you try to go out and walk out the Christian life, and when you try to follow Jesus on your own apart from the local church, you know what will happen? Exactly what happens to the bathroom left on its own. It will be a giant mess. Your life will be a giant mess when you try to do this thing on your own. How many know we weren't meant to do it by ourselves? We weren't meant to be on this walk, this life alone. In fact, I would venture to say that if you take a good hard look at the community of backsliders just in the UPC alone, you would find those who just tried to do it all by themselves. They thought that they could do it alone. They didn't need fellowship. They didn't need community. They didn't need their brother or their sister. But church, you weren't designed that way. You weren't created that way. You are designed by Jesus to follow him, intimately connected and intimately woven in to the local church. We are the body of Christ. We are here for one another. Would you say amen? We're designed by God to this intimately, this intimately connected, uh, we're to to be intimately connected into and inside the local church, the bride of Christ, that, that our lives were meant to be lived out in deep relationship, interwoven together. We're, we're, we're in this together. Nobody here this morning should be able to say that I am alone. You're not alone. Now, talking about the church and the functionality of the church and this this deep relationship that we're all supposed to have uh, with the local church to talk about that uh, for that to for all that to functionally happen we have to kind of take a step back and we have to deconstruct some things about the church because sometimes I think people's mindset, their people's idea of church. And when they hear church, I think that their idea of church might be a little skewed, might be a little wrong. Okay. Let me say this to you this morning. When we are talking about the church, when we are having a conversation about church, the church that I am speaking of is not an it's not an event. Okay, we have to stop seeing church as an event, as a as a thing that we do on Sunday. Okay? It's not just something that happens on a weekend and on one night throughout the week. You know, people have this idea. My family gets up and it's on it's Sunday morning and we get dressed and we have church and we go to church, and church is the event that we go to on Sunday, and after work on Wednesday, sometimes right after dinner, we will go to church and we have church tonight. Listen, church is not an event to be attended, but it is an idea identity to be practiced. I'm going to say that again. Church is not an event to be attended, but is an identity to be practiced. And Paul is going to come along and Paul is going to say, amen. That's right. It is a communal identity to be practiced, to be lived out in the context of community, in the context of the local church. It's a communal identity to be practiced. It is a, it is a shared identity. And here's the thing, when that becomes a shared practice, we have a chance at being a place of grace. Not just an event, but we become a place where people come and experience the power of God Almighty. Landmark, I believe, can be a place where we live grace-filled lives, where we extend the mercy and the grace of God, where we receive the grace of God. We become an experience rather than just an event on Sundays. I don't know about you. I don't want to be another event. There's plenty of events that are going on in town today. I want to be an experience. I want to be a movement. I want to be where the spirit is falling. This is is what Paul's heart is for the church in Corinth. This is what Paul wanted in the church of Corinth because he knows in this, in this kind of uh, uh, local church where unity reigns, where we can be transparent and there's vulnerability and all those things, you have a chance at being a living display of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many know that's what it's all about? That's what it's all about. The church should exist to display the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are here this morning not to show everyone our new outfits, not to show everyone our kids new outfits, not to show that we know how to do our hair, but we are here to display the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are living examples of a life that has been transformed by his power. No other reason. And that becomes possible when we are united. When we are in one accord. Our community seeing Jesus is dependent upon you and I being unified. I don't know if you feel the weight of that this morning, but I sure do. That people seeing Jesus depends upon how they see Jesus. That is a driving burden for Paul. But sadly, it wasn't happening in the church in Corinth. I want to unpack these scriptures this morning in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse number 1, Paul, the Bible says Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't read the word Paul and, and not stop, and, and to really just kind of unpack, Paul, Paul, I can't read Paul and not stop and say, hey, listen, no matter what your background is, no matter what your pedigree is, no matter where you came from, no matter what your family, how many know your family can be as crazy as mine? <laughs> not that they're crazy. But you know what, when I read Paul, here's what I hear, you're invited. I hear you're invited. I I read the word Paul, Brother Hogan, and I hear you're invited. You are invited to come in. Paul was a man who was guilty of sin. He was a man who murdered Christians. He murdered people who loved Jesus because they loved Jesus. And now he's one of the writers of the majority of the New Testament. And listen, I, I read the word Paul and I think to myself no matter what your background, no matter where you came from, no matter what your past is, the word Paul says that you are invited in. Every time you read the word Paul in Scripture, you should take that as an invitation. It does It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what mess you find yourself in. The grace of God is not removed from you and it's not so far reaching that it can't reach you. Glory to God. Amen. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother to the church of God that is in Corinth. (laughs) Now, we've kind, we kind of have to put ourselves in, in Paul's shoes here. We kind of have to put ourselves, uh, imagine what Paul was thinking as he's writing this letter. We have to remember, Paul had gone to Corinth. He had preached the gospel. He was well acquainted with Corinth. And then there was this movement where men and women heard and responded. They believed. He spent a year and a half teaching the Word of God among them and planting this church. He did it in this city of Corinth. I wonder, can you feel the heartbreak? Paul, as he writes this letter, knowing that Corinth was this city, knowing that this was the place where he once preached the word of God, where lives were transformed by the power of God. This was an economic hub city of the day. Corinth was the city where there were trade routes going north, south, east, and west. I wonder, can you feel what Paul would have felt as he left a year and a half later saying, listen, listen. There's such an opportunity for the gospel to spread from here. Just just by virtue and nature of who you are and where you are, church in Corinth, the gospel could spread to the, to the ends of the earth. He said there's so much opportunity right here. There's so much places that this gospel can go to. There's so many lives can be touched just through you. He's saying, hey, you don't have to be the varsity. You don't have to be the best preacher. You don't have to be the best teacher. You just need to get along. You need to love God and the gospel will just naturally begin to spread. But then he left, and listen to what happens. After Paul left, the church became divided. The church was divided, each following a different teacher, each following a different distinct personality. In their division over teachers, they minimized Christ to the level of a teacher. The rich, they were just keeping to themselves. There was very little church discipline that was going on. How many know church discipline is not a bad thing? It's meant, it's, it's meant for your good, right? That's, that's extending grace. Do you know that? That's extending grace. They were loose on morality and doctrine. They were allowing sin that pagans wouldn't allow. They were unwilling to submit to authority. Paul's apostleship was being questioned. They were taking one another to court. They were unconcerned about the conscience of fellow believers. They were pushing or pursuing dramatic gifts of the Spirit over love. As much of a train wreck as this church was, and believe me, it was. I mean, I can't think of another church that this kind of train wreck in three years would happen. If there. I read this text, and I read this story, and I read this letter. If there was ever a time for Paul to break out of the normal introduction from the word go and just begin to slam them, it is this church. It is Corinth. But I want you to listen how Paul addressed them. Paul says this, To those sanctified in Christ, Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul right here reminds us of a couple things. He reminds us that first the church up is made of people who are converted to Jesus, who are now Jesus' followers. Okay, yes. They've been baptized in His name. They have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what the church is made up, And the church is a place where people grow in Him together. Yes. As much of a train wreck as this church was, look at how Paul addresses them. He calls them sanctified, holy, set apart. That as much of a train wreck as this church has been, he still opens letter by saying, hey, listen, listen, I want you to remember who you are. Yes. I want you to remember that you're holy. I want you to remember that you are sanctified saints. You are holy ones of God. Listen, church, your life might be a mess right now. And the devil might be beating you up over your past and the way you used to be. But I hear the voice of God saying, don't forget who you are. When you are born again, you become a child of the king. Amen. We are all God's children. But sadly, what happens is, is I believe that defeat comes when people forget who they are in God. You've been set apart by God for Him and the mercy of God is here for you. Paul's saying, remember. Remember who you are. He goes on, verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and in all knowledge. Listen, here's the time where we've shifted from the intro starting to get into the meat of the letter. And again, if I'm writing this letter, if I'm Paul, and we're rolling back 2,000 years ago, if I'm writing this letter at this point, at least at this point, if not in the intro, intro, I'm blowing them up. I mean, I am dropping the hammer, okay? I can't believe I spent a year and a half here preaching the Word of God, baptizing people, getting people in in church, and here's what you're doing. Come on, how many people would do that? I would do that. Paul, I would be blowing them up, dropping the hammer. I'm coming, you know, I'm coming in like, what's going on here? Kind of like how I walk in Easton's toy room. What's going on here? I don't raise my voice that loud. I keep it at about a seven. Um, You know, if I'm Paul, that's what I'm doing. Brother Warren, I'm going in and saying, I see no evidence of the grace of God. I see no evidence of Jesus Don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't even see Jesus in your life. Don't talk to me about Jesus when I don't see Jesus in your life. I mean, I'm blowing them up. I'm letting them have it right then and there. But Paul, Paul was a man gripped by grace to agree that I am not there yet. Paul knows this. He knows what he was forgiven of. He... He remembers what he was redeemed from. For the bishop, he knows grace. Yes, he does. Anybody knows? He knows sanctification is a slow process. Yes, it is. He knows he was a man who murdered fellow believers. He knows that God intervened and redeemed him and called him home. He knows this. He knows how long it took for the grace of God to begin a real deep work in his life. This slow process of sanctification that I'm talking about has absolutely been true in my life. I am so thankful for the grace and the mercy that has been extended to me and shown to me through the church. Yes. I don't want to ever forget what i was redeemed from i don't want to ever forget i but i want to stand up here and say thank you jesus thank you for your grace church at the end of the day none of us are supposed to be here none of us are supposed to be sitting on these pews experiencing the blessings of god but grace but grace but god's amazing grace paul is a man who is gripped by this grace and paul I, i don't want to confuse anyone here this morning Paul, he's not ignoring their sin. No. No, he isn't. <laughs> I wonder if they, they read the opening letter like, oh, yeah, like, we're not in trouble. Yeah, you know, this is great. He's not ignoring their sin. No, no, no. He's not bypassing the fact that they are a mess right now. That only happens when we abuse grace. You abuse grace when you don't talk about the problem, when you ignore the problem. Yeah. Okay? Okay. Grace doesn't say, hey, I see this in your life. I see this going on over here, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Church, that's not grace. That's cowardice. You read in your Bible, Romans chapter 1, I call that more wrath than anything. When you see an issue and you, if I see something wrong in my kids and I don't address it, you know what? It's going to be wrong in their adulthood, right? Matter of fact, it might be worse, Grace doesn't ignore problems. Grace addresses problems, loving our way into them. Paul doesn't ignore the problems in Corinth either. He just begins with grace. He begins with grace because he knows that God is after a transformed heart. God's not after somebody who's just being on their best behavior. Okay? He's not after behavioral modification. You know what behavioral modification is? It's an illusionary solution. It goes away. It goes away. Easton, be good, and I'll get you an ice cream cone. He's good. I get him an ice cream cone. He's bad. Okay? Got the cone. Bad. Get it? Got it. He gets lots of ice cream cones. Um <laughs> It's an illusionary solution. If we are always controlling, modifying our behavior for people around us, what we're doing is we're creating a false view of me for me, deceiving myself into believing I'm something other than I am and that I always take this, I take this false thing and I hold it up to God and I say, hey, God, sanctify this for me, sanctify that. But I'm never holding up an honest view of me to God saying, sanctify me, Come on. sanctify me. Behavioral modification, it's an illusionary solution. And God is not after that. He is after a transformed, redeemed, renewed heart. Yes. And Paul knows this. Verse 6, he says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, the testimony here is Paul's testimony. Paul is saying, listen, I came and I preached. I preached the gospel. And then the testimony in my mouth was confirmed as true by you. This is how this works. The preacher and the hearer, they go hand in hand. Right? That's what we do. We come in here, we open up the Word of God, we preach from the Word of God, and then the power and the authority and the truth of the Word in Jesus Christ is testified in your life. In your life. And church, there is no better testimony to the truth and the grace of the Word that's preached in, in the gathering uh, of your love for one another. There's no better testimony than when you begin to love one another, when we are in unity, when we are in one accord. And as you dive into the community of the church, listen, you're not going to find us to be perfect. You're not going to find any church to be perfect people. What you're going to find is people who are wrestling through the same issues of life that you are. We are all dealing with the same fallen, fallen world that you are. That's why it's so important to understand what Paul is saying. This is his heart for the church. It's his heart for Corinth. That that this church in this city would be a living testimony, a living display of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his heart. That's why these words are so important that he is saying all of this because he's saying, listen, I don't want your division to remove you from this. I want you to be a living testimony of the truth and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why... We are united. That's why we're in one accord. The church is united around Jesus to the, so that we can display Jesus. That's it. Uh-huh. Yes. But when we are divided, when we are at each other, there is no Jesus to be seen. That's right. Right. This is Paul's heart. Verse 7. I love how Paul deals, deals with it. He, he's go, he says, verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Paul is starting to address the Christian problem, the part of the problem. And one of the problems was that they were divided over the gifts. Now, this division over gifts, it's just a symptom of the problem. Okay? There's a deeper root issue. And Paul is going, he's starting to get to it. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait. Everybody say that word, wait. Wait. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift while you wait. That word, wait, is an an eager longing. An eager expectation for a future event. Well, what is that future event, Paul? What are you talking about? You know what he says? As you wait, as you eagerly await, as you're eagerly longing for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I think Paul is doing here is a little bit of reverse psychology, okay? He's kind of reminding me of the girlfriend who looks at the boyfriend, she says, I love the romantic dates that you take me out on. And he says, I haven't taken you out on any romantic dates. And she's like, exactly. I wish you would take me out on some romantic dates. I used to do that to people on my birthday. I'd text them late in the day if I didn't hear from them. I'd say, hey, happy birthday. And they'd go, it's not my birthday. I'd go, oh yeah, it's mine. So mean, right? What Paul is doing here, he's saying, listen, the root issue is there is no longing for Jesus to return. He's saying, He's saying hey church I love your longing for Jesus to return but we both know there's no longing for Jesus to return there's no desire there's no eagerness and when you're not longing for him if you're not longing for the return of Jesus it means functionally you want the benefits of Jesus without Jesus You want the benefits of Jesus without Jesus. If you are not longing, if there's no longing inside of your soul for the return of Jesus Christ, to be in the presence of Jesus, you are functionally saying, I want the benefits, but without the benefit giver. I want the benefits of Jesus without a walk with Jesus. This is not just a Corinthian problem. This is an us problem. That's right. This is a, this is a me problem. I want I want a husband. I want a wife. I want I, I I I'm I'm here. This is why I'm here. If I'm here, if I don't get it, I'm out. I'm praying, I'm praying, God, give me this job, God, I got the job, thank you, now can I get a raise for this job, I'm not praying because I want a relationship with you, I'm not praying because, I mean, I think you're cool and everything, but uh, I'm praying because I really need this job, I really, I really need it. We want, we want the blessings of God, but we don't want God. We want Jesus without Jesus. I'm not really all interested in Jesus myself, I just really need this to happen in my life. If this seeps into the church, it will always lead to division in the body, yes. Yes. always, you know why? Because you're not living for a greater day to come, you're living to maximize today. He goes on to say, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Underneath this lack of trust, underneath wanting the benefits of Jesus without Jesus is a lack of trust that either Jesus can and will sustain you to the end, or He is enough when you get there. It's a lack of trust either way that He will sustain you to the end or that he is enough to satisfy your soul. That's what sits underneath out of the benefits of Jesus without Jesus. This lack of trust. That is he enough? Will he satisfy? If you are not trusting, not hoping in Jesus for tomorrow, you know what's going to happen? You're going to chase something today. Because your soul wants something that will fulfill it. But if your hope is not anchored in the presence of God, in in tomorrow, that he can hold you tomorrow, it becomes that keeping up with the Joneses thing. This is, I want the comforts of tomorrow, today. I want the pleasures of tomorrow today and so we start trying to fulfill that longing in our hearts because we're not sure that Jesus can and so we take matters into our own hands. We buy things that we think will bring fulfillment. We start falling in love with things and things aren't the problem but it's the pedestal that we place them on. We think this thing can fill me. This thing can satisfy me. You know what this thing becomes? It becomes an idol. Come on. It becomes an idol. And when I look around and I I look all across Christianity, I'm not talking about just this church, but I just look at this world and I just see idols. I see things that people have valued more than Jesus Christ. They have fallen in love and they have not got the strength and the courage to address the idol in their life. It could be comfort, it could be pleasure. It could be acceptance. Church, if you have an idol in your life, you need to address it. You need to address it. I've heard it said that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I want you to get that this morning. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So many times we go through life and we think, I got to have Jesus plus this. Jesus plus this. Jesus plus this thing. You know what you're trying to do? Jesus without the, be- uh, having the benefits of Jesus without Jesus. When you have Jesus, you have everything that you will ever need. Yes. You don't need Jesus plus anything. I just need Him.